Hello, and welcome to We're Only Human. I'm Tim. I am such a believer in iteration. I think that everything we do in life, we should constantly be re-evaluating and iterating. And hopefully, we're doing things today better than we were doing them yesterday. I was just thinking about, I have my water up here on the shelf next to me while I record the podcast in a glass and it's a little bit like above my head. And the chair I'm sitting in has a little cup holder on the right arm. And before I started recording, I looked down and I thought, it's really awkward whenever I need to grab that water and drink it while I'm having a conversation. I could just get a water bottle and put it in that cup holder. And that might be a lot easier to drink the water while I'm having a conversation. And I said out loud to myself, I said, next time, next time. And it's that iteration, that idea that, all right, that would have been a great idea and I could have done it this time, but I'm going to do that next time. I'm going to apply what I learned and I'm going to do it next time. So anyway, moral of the story here is iteration. Let's do it better tomorrow than we did today. Let's do it better today than we did it yesterday. That's all. That's all we can do. That's the best we can do, right? Speaking of the best we can do, Today's guest, and I don't, <laughs> he's not the best we can do. I say this because we talked about this in our conversation a little bit. But today's guest, David, we have known each other. It turns out I realized <laughs> way longer than I way longer than I realized. Oh my gosh. But David is someone who's just a natural community builder. He spent so much of his life recently, building communities in all sorts of ways and helping others build communities. But he's just a natural gatherer, if that's even a word. He just naturally connects and gathers people and connects people that should know each other and could benefit from knowing each other. So David is here, David Spinks. First, let's do a good old-fashioned sound check. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had oatmeal with bananas. Is oatmeal with bananas your preferred? Actually, it's not oatmeal. Granola. Sorry. It was granola with bananas. I was going to say, oatmeal always seems like no one wants plain oatmeal, only flavored oatmeal. I guess granola is the same. Yeah. Yeah. We get, we get, my wife and I are obsessed with this granola and we get three bags of it a week that just me and her eat. <laughs> it's like what we have for breakfast every day because it's so good and easy and healthy. And so we just get it. Today, I'm joined by David Spinks. He's a son, a husband, father, brother, co-founder of CMX. And I always think of you, David, as a community builder, which sounds kind of redundant because you have spent years building community companies, but I truly do feel like you are a natural connector. I mean, all the times in my life that I've ever hung out with you or been with you, it's always been in groups that you've either kind of brought together or assisted in bringing together. Like, I think you are someone who just naturally does that. You, I find these people in life, like there's some of us who are just natural gatherers almost like you, you, you have different people in your life, it seems. And then you um, can figure out like who should be connected to who and just kind of facilitate Mm -hmm. that. 
That's how I describe David Spinks. I'm curious if someone asked you the question, who are you? What would you say? <laughs> That's the first time I've ever been asked that question in that way. So I have to think about it. Who am I? I think I don't know. You described a lot of the identifiers of me. Um, but otherwise, I'm just a person trying to figure out life and do the right thing, take care of myself, have a positive impact, I guess, probably try to do something useful with my life. But, you know, all the things you described are the things that I've spent most of my time on family, life, work, uh, building community, um, co-founded CMX eight years ago. I'm one month into my sabbatical since stepping down. So currently I can't even say I have a job. If someone asks me who I am, I can't even answer with what I do. I just, I'm just chilling. That has to be such a adjustment in life. I mean, you spend eight years building a company that you co-founded. So, I mean, you're all in, this is your idea. You're hundred percent skin in the game spend a better most of a decade and then decide to to take a pause um i mean i know you're recently a father congratulations thanks and so i'm sure that's a part of it i have two kids so i i'm familiar with the the inspiration they provide but i'm i'm wondering what what kind of an adjustment is that in terms of you know you mentioned your part of who you are is figuring out life is is life different to figure out now I think one thing I've already noticed a lot in the last month is how much work is used as a distraction. We tend to think of work as something we have to do, something that's good to do. We know too much is bad, but a lot is okay. Nine to five, that's okay. But nine to five is a lot of our waking hours. It's a lot of our time in our life that we spend working And now that I'm not working for the last month, I've had a lot of time to myself because we kept the baby in daycare for the first month. And I just realized how, you know, when I feel the urge to work, to go to my computer, to do something, it's often when I have thoughts that are challenging. I'm alone with my own ideas. I'm processing a lot of things. I'm faced with a lot of things that might feel scary or anxious and I realize how, you know, for the last eight years with CMX, but longer than that, it's been 15 years. You know, you met me very early in my career. It's been like 15 years of just hustling on startups and building businesses and building communities. And I realize how much of that is a way to distract ourselves from having to sit with our own thoughts, having to face challenges in our own minds. It's easy to immerse myself in email rather than sit alone with, you know, something that's really challenging me. So, uh, that's probably been the biggest difference in terms of how I'm spending my time and what I'm learning, what I'm focusing on. I'm not putting myself into email or Slack or a project. I literally have no other option, but to just sit. And I'm trying not to distract with other things like TV or drinking or anything else, but um, that, that's that been the biggest change. How have you been spending that time? You, I agree with you, nine to five and traditional work time is a large part of our day. 
I imagine when you take that away and no longer have that obligation for a time that you now find yourself with large periods of time of not to be filled, but like thinking, what do I, you know, what, what did, what do you end up doing with that time? Yeah. There's only been a couple days so far that I've felt like, oh, wow, I really don't know what to do and I'm kind of bored and nothing feels exciting to me. For the most part, it's been great. I've just been going on hikes. I love solo hikes. Uh, it's like really meditative for me and yeah. um, it helps me process things. And I just, I can go into a solo hike feeling completely depressed and come out three hours later feeling like renewed and refreshed. So I've been doing, I, li- I live in the Bay Area and there's tons of hiking here. So I've just been hitting up my favorite hiking spots. I've been seeing friends during the day for, you know, chats that don't have an end because I don't have anywhere else to be. I like biked to the ocean the other day and on the way back, I spoke to a random lady by a pond for two hours because I have nowhere to be. It, it's That's been the nicest thing is for the first time in my adult life, there's no one waiting on me. There's no expectation that I have to be somewhere at a specific time. You know, there's still something. I still have to you know, be home with when my wife and son get home. Sometimes I have to pick them up, but the bulk of the day, I pretty much just have freedom myself. So it allows me to be fluid. I can wake up without a plan and just set out and see where it takes me, see who I meet. Um, I've been journaling a lot, drawing, um, just kind of whatever I'm feeling drawn to that day. And there's some days I'm like, I feel like being a hermit. So I'm just going to sit in the apartment all day and read books, play video games. I end up cleaning the whole apartment. I don't think our apartment's ever been so clean <laughs> since I quit my job. Um, but yeah, just, uh, I actually haven't, I haven't yet felt like I need to fill the time. I've, I've felt like it's been pretty easy actually. Do you find yourself, I think COVID for me was sort of this indicator of the importance of pausing. Cause I feel like COVID for so many of us, for myself as well, paused so much of our lives unintentionally um, in so many ways. I know you've, you know, you've chosen to kind of take a pause from your professional side, at least from the company you're building. I mean, you know, whatever the next chapter is, but do you find yourself sort of reflecting on the importance of just pausing in life? Yeah, I've always been a fan of pausing. I, I think I implement that idea in various aspects of my life. Every January, I do dry January, which started with alcohol, you know, no drinking for January. Then I added weed, then I added coffee, then I added TV and video games and social media. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, January is kind of a a mega pause for me where um, I like anything that feels like it's become a routine. I like to stop it at intervals to check in on it and make sure that I'm doing it because I want to, and it's additive, not because it's just a routine, right? I don't mind drinking, but I don't want to keep finding myself in a place where uh, it's almost habitual to crack open a beer at the end of the day to unwind, right? Or my wife and I love watching TV, but there are weeks where like every night, all we do is watch TV and I want to make sure that when we're doing it, it's it feels additive and we're not doing it just because it's that habit and we create space for other things. So I've always thought pauses were important. What's unique about this one, and you know, I, w- I would have had the option to do a proper sabbatical, which you know, maybe it was take 
a, a few months off or even six months off, but have like a job on the other side and get paid while I'm off. I didn't want to do that because what's really unique about this time is there's nothing on the other side. And that's may seem like a subtle difference, but it, it feels like a huge difference. There's no obligation. There's no emails piling up. There's no projects that's going to be waiting for me. There's no people waiting for me to come back. It's open-ended. It's an open-ended pause. And that's what's felt the most exciting and interesting and unique about this time. Why does it feel so exciting and interesting? Are you someone that enjoys having sort of that unknown adventure? Like you don't know what that next chapter is going to be. I think it just creates the opportunity to have every option, every path is there. Mm -hmm. There's no constraints, right? If I had to come back to something, sure, I'm free now, but I have the constraint of on the other end, I'm going to have to stop what I'm doing and go back to that. And not that that was bad. I was, you know, I was happy at work. I love what I do. I have a great team that I love working with. But I'm at the point in my life, in my career, where it felt very necessary to take that open-ended pause and just reveal all the options, all the paths, and like open up my mind in a way that whatever I decide to do is going to be 100% my choice, the things that I intentionally want to add back into my life. And none of it will be things that I had just already committed to in the past, and now I feel an obligation to. I love that. I'm curious, what inspired you to to create that that opportunity for yourself and to sort of say hey I'm I'm going to take stock here and really only put in what what means the most to me like what kind of inspired you to do that at this point in your life um I don't I wouldn't I mean it's not something that like I just knew in the moment and right away I was like okay I'm taking off you know I think it's sure. a gradual thing and so you know I started CMX 8 years ago uh we were acquired 3 years ago so um you know, that was a big change. And I, I committed to at least three years with the company. Um, and so I wanted to see through that commitment. Um, and, uh, you know, I was coming up on my vesting. And so that was always going to be a decision point for, you know, do I continue on? Do I re-up or do I take that opportunity to step away? And then a bunch of other life factors just kind of started coming into play. Um, we have a 19-month-old. Uh, we were trying to have another kid and we decided, my wife and I decided we're going to move back to New York to be closer to family as we're raising our family. And she's a teacher. So she said, you know, if we're moving back to New York and I'm going to be pregnant, hopefully then uh, I don't want to take another job and then leave halfway through. That's not fair to the students. So she's like, I'm going to take a year off. And so it was like, all right, well, I'm reaching the point that I committed to the company. We're going to be moving across the country. Um, we're going to try to grow our family. Um, like all these big changes are happening. And and for a while, I, I always knew that I wanted to like take a break after CMX, after this company. I would. I, I've always believed that when you change jobs, especially when you've been somewhere for a long time, you should take some time to not commit to anybody, like don't look for a job right away. If, if you have 
the privilege of, of sure you know taking your time which not everyone does i'm very fortunate to have that if you have it there's only so there's very few times in our lives that we aren't obligated to a job or to others and so to take that time to breathe pick your head up look around like learn who you are without the identity that you've tied to your job over the last several years like so much of my identity is in cmx in the community industry in community management it's like i believe it's part of who i am the world sees me as that's part of me i'm very curious who i am without that and the only way to do that is by cutting loose and so it was a combination i think of just knowing i wanted to take that time when i did end and then a bunch of different life factors coinciding to make it seem like the right time to make that change your advice on taking time in between jobs if if you're fortunate enough i could not agree with more i had the opportunity i switched jobs at the beginning of this year so i took basically i had all of december between jobs um and I've never had four weeks in between jobs yeah. before. And it was life-changing, to your point. I mean, I came out of that with the same sort of advice you just gave us all and of like, if I change jobs again at some time in the future, I'm going to try and take some time off. You know, I don't know if that's going to be four weeks, but I'm not going to, you know, be done with a job on Friday and start another job on Monday mm-hmm. because it, to your point, is just... When you step outside of work for a couple of weeks and just look at your life, like you said, without that identity part or that part of your identity at the forefront, mm-hmm. it is totally life-changing. H- have you felt like, do you feel any different as a person now that you've kind of taken, you know, you're a month out now from sort of, like you said, not having necessarily any professional obligation or, you know, meetings booked throughout the day? Like, does it, does it feel like David mm-hmm. Spinks is any different or have you actually found you're more of who you thought you were? It's a good question. I don't, I don't know that I would say I'm different. I think I'm just in the early stages of a process of learning more about who I am and having that time to myself to reflect, to meditate, to journal, to process. It feels like, there are just a lot of things that kind of pile up in your psyche and your brain and your emotions. And um, it's, it's, it feels like I'm unpacking a lot of things. And so in that way, it's learning more about who I am rather than I'm not, I'm not changing. Um, and it's, I mean, it's interesting to see like, there's still a lot of pull back to that identity constantly. Um, I mean, me even doing this podcast is like, a little, you know, I may, I make a few exceptions and, you know, I, I really appreciate this conversation, not being more about the person and not about work, which is why I said yes. But, you know, I'm still getting invited to participate in events and interviews. I'm still even doing a little bit of consulting. It's, it's hard to let go. And, um, you know, what we're doing this road trip when we move back to New York. So that's my cutoff point. Once we leave on that road trip, I'm actually calendar's clear. I'm not looking at email. I'm not looking at social media. I'm like fully pausing and cutting off. This is kind of like my transition time while I'm still in the Bay Area. Oh my gosh. That's going to be such a fun experience. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be hard. (laughs) We're (laughs) we're trying to buy an RV right now so we could take a month, drive across the country with our toddler. So uh, it could be fun. It could be a disaster. We will find out. 
It'll definitely be an amazing set of memories for all three of you, <laughs> yeah. no matter what happens. Yeah, he won't remember it, but it'll be in, in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, the digital age, you'll have about 6,400 exactly, photos yeah. of it. We'll, we'll remind him. <laughs> Speaking of your wife, I was watching this video, you know, the, the video where you proposed to your wife, uh, <laughs> and you're at an ice rink outdoors somewhere, and I don't know how this was all filmed. I'm guessing it was some friends of yours, but your wife, uh, you're, you're both standing like near the edge of the rink and then you go out and she's like worried you're going to fall and then you end up falling. And of course, then you get down on your knee and I'm so, first of all, what a great idea, but I'm so curious, like what inspired that idea? Is there some history of ice skating or just a totally (laughs) random idea? There's a really good story behind it. Um, so yeah, my wife and I met 17 years ago in college and, um, you know, we, 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 we met, we kind of got together, we broke up for a while, we got back together senior year. And, um, that ice rink was the first date that we had together, uh, when we got back together, like for the first time, it was like, we kind of were distant up until that point. And we like went on that date, we held hands on the ice rink and it was kind of the first time that, you know, I, I remember feeling opening up again to the relationship and, and kind of coming back together. And um, so there was history on that ice rink. And then, I, you know, fast forward many years later, um, this, you know, eight, nine years later, because we, we've only been married for three years now. Um, but uh, we were going to a show in New York and it was close to that ice rink. And I was like, ah, oh, that would be a good spot to um, to propose. And I didn't really have a plan necessarily. I was just kind of like, I'm going <laughs> to figure out a good way to propose at the ice rink. And I get there and she's, you know, always late for things. So she showed up really late <laughs> and I get to the front of the line and it's like a, a line where they have a sign that says like past this point, no one can join the line. Like whoever's on the line is on the line. I get to the front. I'm like telling the bouncer, I'm like, Hey, my girlfriend's on her way. Like, please, can you let her, come join me he's like nah man you signs back there you can't add anyone in line i'm like dude please i show him the ring he's just like oh fuck (laughs) so you're about to do that here i'm like yeah he's like i'll give you five minutes and so um luckily she got there in five minutes she's like running with bad she's like i'm so sorry she has no idea what i'm planning um at the time and uh so we get on the ice rink and um yeah we like did a few laps. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I knew they were going to do the, um, what do they call them? The Zamboni to clear out the ice soon. I was like, I got to do it soon. Cause we might not get on back on the ice before the show. And so I was like, screw it. I just got to do it. So we went up to, I was like, let's take a picture. And we just found two random girls that were sitting on the side of the ice rink. And I started recording on my phone and I just whispered, I'm like, it's already recording. Just keep recording. Oh, and, wow. um, so you can hear that on the video. And then, yeah, I just, I pretended to fall and she laughed at me and then tried to pick me up and I wouldn't get up. And then I was on one <laughs> knee and she was like, Oh shit. And then, and then people on the ice ring start seeing what's happening and they start cheering. And, um, she said, yes. And that was that. Yeah. I will say watching the video, it, it looks like something out of a movie. Yeah, it really felt, it, it couldn't have been more perfect. <laughs> it all worked out way better than I thought it would. <laughs> had the two of you ever been to that ice rink together after the first time? 
that you got that like that very first time you described had you been there together since between that no. time and the proposal no oh my that god was our first time back there yeah that must have been i mean she must have been freaking out yeah oh yeah she lost her shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that's such a beautiful way to Oh my gosh, like that mean like I said, I'm watching it and it looks like something out of a movie, but knowing the story behind it, it just means so much more. Yeah, it was I mean, yeah, everyone cheering and screaming, and then the guy at the end who goes by is like works at the ice rink, he's like, Congratulations. All right, keep moving, keep moving. <laughs> um, they probably have to deal with a few proposals there and you know. But yeah, it's it's Brian Park uh, in New York City. I highly recommend going and skating there. It's there every year around the holidays. Oh, that's beautiful. That's amazing. They, uh, you said 19 month old. That's such a fun age. And I think, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, the road trip has, what role, you know, we think about at the beginning talking about David Spinks and, you know, father is part of that now, like part of mm-hmm. who you are. What what role does that play in your life now or in who you are, I guess, more specifically? Yeah, it's quickly become a huge part of who I am. Uh, just by nature of the amount of time and energy it takes to be a father. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I mean, he quickly changed a lot of priorities in my life. I think like before having a kid, I always knew what I wanted my boundaries to be, but I had a hard time saying no. I'm a people pleaser. It's hard for me to say no. I want to please. I want to do the thing the best I can. I want to put in the time and effort. I want the people who work with me to see me as someone who works hard and you know, goes above and beyond. And so I would work a lot of hours. I would say yes to a lot of things. Um, once we had the kid, it became a lot easier to say no because it felt more right, more moral to prioritize him than to prioritize work. So it gave me like the moral freedom to uh, to uh, say no to things. And so I was, I got pretty strict on my schedule. I worked literally like nine to five, uh, five thirty. Uh, I would be done by 5.30 because that's when they get home. And he makes sure that I stop working, now, especially once he started walking. You walk over and just start slapping the keyboard. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I guess I'm done with work. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Um, and so, yeah, he he changed me a lot in terms of um, my ability to prioritize and set boundaries, which has been really good. Um, and he's just so much fun. I just really enjoy hanging out with him and – he brings me so much joy that it just kind of reshaped, you know, wh- where I seek validation or dopamine or anything. It's just like not a lot of things are going to beat this adorable little kid who's learning how to talk and communicate and he's silly and he's got the best smile in the world and like nothing's going to beat that. So why do I care so much about all those other things? Like this, this is great. Um, so in that way, I think it just simplified a lot and, makes me really happy oh i love that i would agree with all that have do you ever think about like like this conversation for example being on the internet and like i mean theoretically like the internet is forever and so like Mm -hmm. one day i mean my kids can probably already find this my son's always listening to podcasts yeah um, and he knows i podcast but like theoretically you know, I don't know, eight, nine years down the road, your son's flipping around the internet and he can listen to this conversation. Like, do you ever think <laughs> about like, what, what would that feel like? No. Yeah. That's yeah. There's not a lot of content from my childhood, you know, a few pictures here and there, maybe a couple of videos. Um, so 
yeah, it's a different world where your kid can come back and hear all these things and see all these things. It's also why I think we have to be a little careful about what we share online about our kids. Like we're so used to sharing everything from our lives. We've, we've made the choice not to share any pictures of him on the internet. For example, like I want him to have the choices about how he shows up on the internet and what content exists from his life and his identity. But yeah, I hope he listens to this interview. I said nice things about him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so wild to think about like, I don't, I don't know if this like happened to you as you became a parent, but I started to, especially as you know, you're a year and a half into it. And as the years go on, I feel like you start to think about your parents or at least like, Mm -hmm. you know, those adults in your lives when, when you were a kid and like, I started to think about like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, mom and dad for, you know, oh, I was this terrible 13 year old, or I was, you know, this terrible seven year old, or you start to like empathize with like, wow, I understand now. But, but also like, I also realized they probably didn't know what they were, especially I'm the oldest of three. So like with me specifically, like Mm -hmm. they didn't know what the hell was going on. Like they were first time parents. So like, do you have that feeling of like almost empathy toward toward your parents or your wife's parents of like, oh, I, I see what you mean now? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think like, you know, you start wiping butts every day and you realize <laughs> that someone wiped your butt every day and that changes a lot of perspectives. <laughs> um, you know, you just I never thought how, of it that way. <laughs> it's, it's a wake up moment. <laughs> you know, you realize how helpless a new baby is and they rely on you for everything. And you might feel like a strong, independent person today, but you realize that there was a point where you were 100% reliant on your parents to take care of you. And, you know, I recognize more so how much my parents gave to me, how much they sacrificed. I mean, my parents are both immigrants. They moved to the U.S. a year before I was born. They didn't know anybody. They didn't have jobs. Um, oh, wow. or they had to be very kind of scrappy in finding jobs. Um, they didn't have much family here. So, um, you know, the amount that they sacrificed so that I could have a good life and the life that they wanted for me and for my sister, um, that's definitely become a lot more apparent uh, since having a kid. And then I think there there are the aspects of, you know, how was I when I was a teenager and I was a jerk for sure. Um, I also find myself thinking about like the things that weren't so good that I want to do differently. Um, that I want to be aware of how I show up, um, in my house and how I communicate and how I manage conflict. And, um, you know, I, I believe my parents did everything they could with love and did the best they could. But in hindsight, it's, it's, you know, easier to point to things and see like, wow, that was like pretty traumatic at the time or really hard at the time. And, um, you learn to forgive for those things, I think, because you realize how hard it is and how much they were going through. And, you realize that it wasn't about you if they got mad or angry or there was conflict or anything. It was really them doing the best they can. And they still did it with a lot of love and care. Um, but 
they're bound to make mistakes and I'm going to be bound to make mistakes. And so I think, yeah, you kind of cultivate some forgiveness in that and forgiveness for them, forgiveness for yourself for things that you've been like holding on to that you thought was you, but it's like, oh shit, no, it's just part of growing up and figuring out how to be a human together. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. You're right. I think so much of it is we need to forgive and remember that. Yeah. It's not necessarily they, I always like to remember that we're just making this up as we go along as parents. And that means that our parents were just making this up as, we went along, as they went along. So it's, it's important to, to remember that. Yeah. I don't know if there's any path to like, not fucking up your kids in some way. <laughs> I don't think so. Like, you know, like you do the best you can, but that's not going to ever be perfection, nor maybe should it be. Yeah. I mean, think about everything in life. There is no yeah. clear, good or bad. There's always a trade-off. Every decision you've ever made has always had pros and cons, good and bad. And I can do everything in the world that I think is good for my kid, but there's going to be downsides to those things, no matter what I do. You know, if I encourage him to play sports, if I encourage him to be free, maybe maybe if I give him all the options in the world, then he'll like lack that focus and not know where to go. Or I get really, really strict about pushing him down a specific path, but then he lacks the breadth of opportunity and awareness and the ability to choose. So like that, that's something that comes up for me as a father already a bunch is like, how much do I kind of push him in a specific direction that I feel is good and exciting versus leaving it all up to him to decide and figure out like both of those things feel like there's a lot of trade-offs and a lot of uh, pros and cons that come with either of those paths. So I don't have that answer and I'm going to do the best I can to do the right thing as I go. But no matter what I do, it'll probably cause some drama <laughs> and it'll probably cause some opportunity and growth. And doing the best you can do is, I mean, that's literally the best we could possibly do. I mean, that's the the greatest gift you could give. I think your child is is doing the absolute best you know how. Do it with love. Um, give them tools. You know, that's something I'm thinking. I, I think a lot about is like, how, instead of telling him what to do, how do I give him the tools that I've learned on how to make a decision rather than make the decision for him, or how to be mindful rather than tell him to be mindful. Um, but you know, as we all also figure out, like the only way to really learn anything is to experience it. Um, but I guess it's just try to model, model behavior that you'd want them to have model skills, model an approach that you want them to take. And so when they do face a decision, they have a model that they can choose to follow or not, but it's still their choice. Absolutely. It's, speaking of, uh, parents, your mom's a teacher your sister's a teacher and your wife's a teacher. Yeah. I'm, and my mother-in-law. And your mother-in-law's a teacher. Oh my gosh. I'm curious. How did you not end up a teacher? <laughs> I mean, you seem like someone who would actually. I kind of be, am a teacher. <laughs> I guess you are. Yeah. I guess you are. I'd say you're, you are yeah. a very teacher personality. I mean, you're very positive, very helping, very warm. Thanks. Yeah. I, I really enjoy teaching and I do, I do a lot of, you know, speaking and workshops and trainings and stuff like that for community managers. So in a lot of ways I am a teacher. Um, I could definitely see myself being a uh, like proper teacher in a school. Um, I don't know. I think my, I've always wanted to be, I think I've always had a 
uh, urge toward entrepreneurship and business. You know, we grew up, like I said, my parents both came to the U.S. without a lot, have been hustling their whole life to, you know, make sure we had a roof over our heads and food on the table and we had what we need, which they always did. And um, I think there was a little bit of a chip on my shoulder of wanting to not have to worry about money quite as much as we did um, when I was younger. And my dad, you know, very entrepreneurial. He's always been independent salesperson. Uh, he sells uh, stuffed animals, plush toys, um, all over the tri-state areas. So if you go to a carnival or an arcade, no way. Play, play to win a stuffed animal. You're probably, there's a good chance you're going to try to win one of his. Um, Can you imagine the impact he's had on hundreds of thousands of children's lives? I mean, oh we've all God. gone to the carnival and wanted to win the stuffed animal and it's sitting <laughs> on our bed at it. home. Uh, my dad's the sweetest guy in the world too. And he, he always does things. We live on a dead end block in, in uh, Long Beach and Long Island. It's just a very residential, very nice little neighborhood and community. And he does, you know, throughout COVID, he would uh, um, basically set up these games on the block for all the kids to come play where he would put the toys. He'd put like a number of toys all over the front yard and they'd have to guess how many there are. Or he'd, <laughs> you know, create carnival games that they can come and play to win. Uh, we, I used to have some pretty dope birthday parties when I was a little kid. Cause we'd always have so many toys to give away and he'd set up <laughs> a whole carnival. He, he's a very kind person. He loves doing that kind of stuff, um, for kids. So, uh, it's always, it's, it suits him well, not an easy industry at all. I highly don't recommend becoming a plush toy salesman, but, um, that's what he's done. You know, that's what he's done his whole adult life. And, my mom's yeah teaching she babysits uh she would work at camps she's a hebrew school teacher she uh takes care of elderly people who need help like she's a very giving person and has just like always hustled um lots of jobs to make ends meet and so both of them i think just kind of gave me that entrepreneurial spirit and that chip on my shoulder to try to create a better financial future for our family and i want them to not have to worry about money and and their retirement and um so yeah teaching never really ended up being a path i pursued but i obviously like to be surrounded by teachers <laughs> where did your i guess passion for community and 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 that come from i mean like i said i do feel like you're a natural gatherer of people and i mean that's what we think of as communities but and you know you've kind of applied it i think a lot to the digital space i think there's different ways you could apply community, but where did that all kind of come from? I mean, it sounds like that, that helpful nature comes from your parents and all that, but I'm wondering where the rest came Mm -hmm. from. Yeah. I think my parents really instilled in me, um, whether through nature or nurture, probably both just like a caring nature and very good moral compass, like try to do the right thing, try to do right by people. Um, they also, I think wanted me to have a really good social life. So they're constantly, you know, setting me up with play dates with other kids. Again, you know, we didn't have a network established when they moved to the U S so, you know, really wanted to in some ways probably overcompensate to make sure I was well connected and had friends um, and got me into every sport. They also had like high expectations of me. So I was, you know, I was a really good student. I played in every sport. I was really good at some of them. I was really good at lacrosse pretty good at tennis. Um, 
And um, so, you know, I think I like grew up being a very social kid. And then I think getting towards middle school when social structures started to form, I had a really, really hard time socially. So I think actually a lot of my uh, abilities and community, like most people's strong suits come from a place of trauma and and having to compensate for something or get really good at something they were bad at in the past. And so I really struggled um, in, yeah, those kind of middle school years and some of high school years, um, had a lot of falling outs with friend groups, felt very isolated, dealt with anti-Semitism, dealt with a lot of bullying. Um, and I really wanted to have a group, have friends fit in, but I just like couldn't, I, I just didn't have that for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, I would like set out on my own on my bike, just like hoping to run into groups of kids that like I could hang out with. Right. I was like never included. I always have to go and find it. I think that made me pay really, really close attention to people and social dynamics. It was almost like, I remember like sitting in my room and like replaying in my head, you know, why, like what, like how people would talk to each other and how they would, you know, someone who was really funny, like what were their facial expressions like? Like what was their timing like? How would they communicate? Um, and I became really good at modeling and um, kind of mirroring people. So uh, I, I'm very good at, um, yeah, like kind of playing into the setting in the room or the energy that someone has. If someone's really high energy, I could give that back to them. If they want to be, you know, bro out and be be a bro about things and, <laughs> you know, curse a lot, I could do that. If someone's very soft-spoken and very low energy, I can meet them there. So I kind of always, um, I developed these kind of like chameleon traits to be able to reflect back to people, um, which made it much more effective at connecting with people. By the time I got to college, I became really good at connecting with people and I was like, I liked always being the person who knew all the groups. I didn't like being pigeonholed into one group. I like to be friends with the guys in the sports teams and the people who, you know, were in like different clubs and fraternities and different classes. And like, I like walking to class and getting to say hi to 50 different people that I knew. And so, you know, so college was like a really big um, opportunity to kind of, learn and, and practice those social skills. Um, but it was, it was so to rewind a little bit back in middle school, when I was feeling very isolated in my high school in my, I mean, middle school and high school in my hometown, that's actually what kind of pushed me to the edges. That's what happens, right? When people feel isolated, they don't stop looking for belonging. They keep looking for belonging. They tend to have to go more to the edges or more extremes to find places where they belong because the further you go out, the more likely you're going to find other people who don't belong, who are looking for connection. And there you find the connection, which can be really good in some places. You find these really cool niche communities. It can be really bad in some situations. I think it's why people um, find really violent communities or really toxic communities because they're getting pushed to those edges of society. For me, you know, luckily it was mostly all good communities. It was through video games. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 was like, a game I became really obsessed with. It was the first console game that was designed for uh, being played online. And so I, um, I uh, got really into it. I was one of the top players in the world, 
we ended up starting a forum for our clan. And so that, and that was my first time running an online community. And we had, you know, we had, we had moderators, we had competitions, we had tons of discussions, we had trolls, we had to do all this stuff that like community managers do today. And I was doing this when I was 13 or 14. And so I became very comfortable at talking to people, whether I knew them or not, strangers or people I knew in real life on the internet a lot earlier than I think most other people became comfortable with it. You know, um, back, this was back like IRC was how we talked. It was before AIM and lots of other things. And so um, that trend just continued. And I, I've always been very comfortable connecting with people on the internet online. And and college is where I connected the dots between like my passion for online community and the world of business. And then my first job out of college was a community manager. And so my entire career has been building communities and building companies. Why did you want to be the person that connected to all the groups instead of being pigeonholed? I don't know why. Um, I think I just like people. I just like different kinds of people. And um, I like being a connector between groups. Like it was always my favorite thing to throw a party that I can bring different groups who don't know each other together and see them merge and intermix. Um, I I mean, there's a lot of just a craving for being liked and um, getting that validation from people, you know, seeking popularity or just seeking validation. Um, Yeah. I just enjoyed being kind of that that person that could hop between groups, which has pros and cons. I think in some ways that ends up isolating you because you don't go deep with any one group. Um, you end up kind of staying shallow with lots of different groups, and, and that's, that's a hard place to be. Um, I think especially more in the last few years, I've changed a lot, and that that's one of the things I think has changed about me is I don't need – a lot of different groups or a, a really large community anymore. I'm really happy with my family, my close group of friends, um, really going deep with less people uh, than, than I used to. I, I fully agree with that. Like the, uh, I, I found myself as similar, like wanting to be attached or connected to the different groups, but I feel what you're saying about, you don't always feel deep with one group then like you're sort of that, you know, generalist in a sense, you're not diving into any specific group. That is a tough feeling. Do you, I'm thinking about like the David Spinks of today, does the David Spinks of today, or I'm sorry, did the David Spinks of, of, of yesterday ever, like, is this where you thought you would be today or was there a different plan in life or is this, this is like, no, this is, this is what I, what I was looking for right about now. I think I'm pretty on track. Um, I would like to have more money by now. We could always use more like money, more I suppose. financial freedom and independence. Um, you know, I've been in startups for 15 years, just still waiting for that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that big break. Um, I have some good lottery tickets out there, so maybe one of them come to fruition. But um, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's a real thing. Like, I'm not afraid to say that I, like I said, I, I want to have financial freedom for myself and my family. Sure. I want my parents not to have to worry about money. 
Um, and it would have been nice to have more of that by this point. Um, but I'm very comfortable. I'm very fortunate. I'm very safe financially. We're good. You know, the fact that my wife and I can take a year off and we're going to burn into our savings a bunch, but we look at it as an investment in our life. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think I'm pretty on track with kind of the life that I envisioned for myself as like being a builder, being a creator, being a community builder, connecting with a lot of people. I always wanted to have a lot of impact. I remember, um, I don't know why this memory sticks with me all the time, but when I was really young, there was like a science competition in our hometown and there was a, a girl who won that competition who made, it was like a device for uh, blind people to be able to put dollar bills into the device and it would say out loud what it is, if it's a dollar, five dollar, oh, wow. twenty dollar. It was really incredible, especially at the time. I just like, I don't know, that always stuck with me and just, I was like, wow, like one day I want to be like an inventor, like a creator, a builder and help people. Um, and while I didn't end up doing, you know, building physical things, I do, I do think that energy is what has driven me to build things like CMX and community in, in a different way. So yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm proud of where I'm at and what I've accomplished and I have a beautiful family, great friends. I I don't have a lot of complaints. I like how you phrased, you said that you and your wife are in a, a great fortunate position to be able to take off a year, but you'll burn into savings a little bit, but you view it as an investment in life. I love that phrasing because, and, and I'm no financial wizard and I don't follow any, I'm probably terrible, but you know, I feel like the savings, 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 like, you know, don't, you know, that's, the golden egg that we should never touch and all that. But I love mm -hmm. how you phrase that. It's an investment in life. What do you mean by that? Yeah, actually that's from my friend Noah Karish, um, who's, you know, another a really good friend and entrepreneur who sold his company a few years ago. And um, he's been kind of doing the hybrid sabbatical nomad working on projects life. Um, he has a kid as well. And I was talking to him about my sabbatical when I was coming up and I was like, yeah, I'm like worried about money. We're really going to be burning into our savings. And he was like, stop looking at it as like, you're just burning money and start looking at it as you are investing in a series of experiences in your life. Oh, I love that. Like you are putting that money to use by creating the space for all the memories, all the experiences, all the things that you are going to get out of the next year together, taking this time off, being with your family, traveling. It's an investment in your life. And what other thing are you investing in? Life is it. This is it. This is why we're here. It's all about life. So like, you know, you have to be smart. You don't want to burn all of your savings. You don't want to invest. You're not going to overinvest in your life the same way you don't overinvest in a stock or, or something else. But within reason, absolutely, you should think about how you can use your money and your savings to invest in, in yourselves. I love that. That's such a, a beautiful way of thinking about it. Yeah. It helped me a lot to reframe it from a loss into an investment. Yes. That's the, I love that a loss into an investment, David, thank you so much for 
this conversation. This has been such a pleasure. I'm so happy that we got to chat and I'm excited for you. I, I think this is such an exciting chapter of your life and I just wish you all the best. And I, oh man, I think that road trip, I can't wait to hear about the, the adventures <laughs> you're going to have. Yeah, it's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. Hopefully we find our RV. If anyone out there is selling an RV and hears this <laughs> interview before <laughs> when we leave, uh, let me know. I have no idea how to buy an RV, but we try to figure it out. But um, yeah, this is this is a real pleasure. I, I really enjoy having the opportunity to have conversations like this with people like you have known for a long time. We go way back. I don't, we, you and I haven't talked in a in a while, but it's been a while. You know, whenever you come across my email or anything, I always I feel warmth. You know, you're, you're a very warm well, person, a kind person. I, you know, you you were someone who showed up for me. 15 years ago when I was very early in my career and no idea what I was doing, you know, you had no reason to help me other than just to be a kind person that you are. And, um, it's, uh, it's really appreciated and it's cool to like be able to come back and have these conversations over, over many years. Oh, thank you for those kind words. You know, honestly, it's, I was thinking about like, when did David and I first meet? And I can't pinpoint like that moment, it's just like this bleeding where like a gradient of like you were in my life and all these different moments I can pinpoint. Like when you came, you're working for Zarly and you came to Chicago for happy hour and all our big Omaha conference uh, yeah. trips. And like, there were all these little ones, but like, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't pinpoint even like before that. Yeah. Probably the like first blog one. world, South by Southwest. Like, yeah. You know, oh, wow. Yeah. I remember blog world. That was like the thing. Yeah. Oh my God. There was all that, but you also worked for this startup. I was looking at my email randomly the other day and I found it. And this was really early. Scribnia. It was something Scribnia, with blogging. Yeah, blog dash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was my first job. It was Scribnia as a community manager. That might be we where pivoted. we first met. It was somehow through Scribnia. Mm -hmm. That was right out of college. So that was like when I first, literally when I first got out. My, my wow. internship uh, before my senior year was at Reuter Finn. So that's how I got into the world of PR. And I think that's when I connected with folks like you and Heather Whaling and Danny Brown and that, that whole crew, Eric Hansen. That sounds about you know, right. That whole crew from back in the day that was like in the HR, I mean, uh, PR, social media kind of hybrid space. Yeah. 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 It's good times. <laughs> oh, I look man. back at them very fondly. That feels like a lifetime ago, both in terms of yeah. like life, but also just in terms of technology evolution. Mm -hmm. Totally. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to hit stop here. All right. <laughs> You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>